The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild course language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian, or priest. This is John Deke speaking. This is how I talk. This level, about this level. I'll get it more exciting, get louder, but it's about this. It's, just, it's the same as we've been doing. It's been sounding really good the last couple of weeks. Uh, I will be talking at this level, but as you uh, mentioned in the last podcast, what we didn't actually talk about, I am using a different microphone stand. And I usual. love it. It's more active. I feel like I'm more, I'm more on my game now. Well, I have a straight we, microphone should, stand. Should I introduce the show? Well, well this is just the preamble, because my other mic stand... Uh, the one, the tripod one that we usually use, that is being used at the moment. Clothes rail as a clothes rail because it's yeah, but raining I was here, in Sydney. I was here yesterday, and those clothes were still. Are they not dry yet? They probably are dry now. I got a heater yesterday. This is the first time we've. I know. It. I, I was, you know what? Yesterday when we were recording, I was like. I'm going to use some of that Patreon money to buy Willa Heater because <laughs> I was fucking freezing. It's like your Dave Letterman, that's your Dave Letterman approach. Yeah, keeping the jokes fresh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everyone relax. This is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Uh, yes. And I, I bought a couple of new things yesterday. So I bought a new heater. Oh, yeah. I bought two new heaters. I bought one for the house. And a cocktail shaker. And one here for the office. No, this is like a water bottle. Yeah, it's very fancy. I bought one of those. Uh, I've decided to stop drinking bottled water. I know this is something I've said, I think, about three years ago on the podcast. I told people it's stop drinking bottled water but i fell back into the habit because it's so easy to do you mm. know particularly when you're on tour and they'll every venue you go to like provide you bottled water backstage i just got back into the habit of drinking bottled water yeah and it's terrible i shouldn't do it so Why? i bought myself one. well because, oh so you're buying the bottles yeah 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 it's bad for the environment yeah i got sent a um it's a it's like a like a gym bottle it's like a real macho it's like a 2.2 Leader. And so I've been carrying around with me, but fuck, it's heavy. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. Well, that's why it's the gym one, mate. Yeah. You're actually doing reps yeah, all day long. You know, it's a, it's a weird workout where you actually, you put the water into your body and it's an incentive to drink more water so you don't have to fucking carry it around. That's yeah, true. It's true. That's what I do in the morning because I take the dog for a walk and I'll take this fucking giant gallon drum of water with me. But it's like, well, the sooner I fucking get this water down, the lighter the walk's going to be. Right. And then you get the exercise of getting up and going to the bathroom 25 times for the rest of the day as well. I mean, all those squats, you know, and up again. I don't know why you're squatting, actually. In that, I had you sitting down to go to the toilet. I'm not really sure why. <laughs> so I got a silver, silver canister. It but- looks like it was designed by the, uh, the guys who created Batman, the animated series. It's got kind of like an art deco, but could belong to any time period kind of look it's very uh, cool here's the thing I, I i was thinking about like you know maybe on stage i'll also have one of these sort of things but i can't have like a silver one like that because it'll reflect off the light and right. in people's eyes but i was thinking maybe i could get a canister and is this too wanky it probably is now that i'm about to say it out loud <laughs> but i was thinking i could get like the backdrop foz's logo of the show that's not wanky and make a canister that's like a a show yeah kind of... and then we sell them and then uh, we sell them <laughs> good idea brilliant. this is a great idea everyone should stop drinking bottled water and buy Buy our bottles. <laughs> <laughs> it's the one thing I noticed when I was staying at your place in LA is that you've got good, you've got nice stuff. Like, what you, do you mean? Like all your, like whenever I went to get like a cup of tea, it's like fancy tea. Or if I, you know, if I, if I went to get like, you know, some cutlery or whatever, it's oh, this is all nice stuff. Like you've just got nice stuff. I'm more of the kind of, can I get like 10 of these for cheap? <laughs> I mean, part of that is because of the fact that I set up from scratch. In America, because I think what we do as human beings is we just gather along the way, right? Yeah. Like it used to be that idea at a wedding that you would buy people, you know, cutlery and stuff like that because it was the first time they were going to have to have those things. Yeah. Whereas we as human beings, I mean, you know, over the years you just gather stuff. So some things come from your like previous share house and then you still have some of those things when you move into your new house. And even if you buy a place, you've still got stuff. I mean, we've got stuff in the attic here that we put in the attic when we moved in here 12 years ago. 
Clearly, we don't need any of that stuff. I don't yeah. even know what's in there. Your bizarre half brother. It's a bizarre. <laughs> you keep chained to the wall. Oh, oh, sorry, Derek. I should I should get Derek out. That is a good point. He's got his own podcast, mate. What are you talking about? Probably got a bit of acoustics up in the attic. I mean, to be honest, if That's... we cleaned it out, we could probably record the show up there. It'd be brilliant and warm. Warm. Save yeah. on heating. <laughs> Yeah, because all the heat rises too to the top of the top of the house, so it'd all be caught in We'd there. We'd lose weight, sweat box it. I mean, Ramona would have some rats to play with, and yeah. it'd be a great, great little exercise. It'll be our backup. It'll be our backup studio. Yeah, I, 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 it is always the place that I think I, I may have mentioned on the podcast before that um, when we got the deck done out the back, um, it, it's actually over part of the swimming pool. So at one end, the original swimming pool goes under mm. the deck. And we've always thought that's quite a good place to hide in case like attackers come because you can dive in and there's a small amount where you can like breathe in the top, but they wouldn't be able to see you there. Yeah. But the attic is actually a much better choice. Yeah. If there's an explosion, like if it was an action film and the house is about to explode, you jump into the pool and get undercover because that way the water will protect you and your head's not exposed either. That's a really good point. I'd only thought of it in the case of robbers. Yeah, right. (laughs) Explosions are good. Explosions are much better. Well, if it's robbers who are going to blow up your house... (laughs) I mean, it seems like an extreme way to rob someone, destroy all evidence of the robbery. I mean, I guess it does cover your tracks. Yeah. No one would know the place has been robbed if you just burned the whole thing down afterwards. <laughs> no need to cover your fingerprints, mate, when it's you burn the place down. It's a perfect crime. Oh, yeah, did you leave fingerprints? No, I didn't even wear gloves. Burnt the whole place down afterwards. That's my plan. <laughs> Nicholas Cage style. I just flick a match over my shoulder and then don't look back. <laughs> walk, walk away in slow motion. Well, it's funny that we mentioned Nicolas Cage. Well, it's not really funny because I'm the one I knew I had the article and I've brought him up. So really, okay, I just brought him up anyway. But last week on the show, uh, we brought in each of us five DVDs. Uh, we talked about the DVDs and we said... Or that, did we bring in five each? Ah, ah, nice one, Charlie. We did, but in the future, <laughs> in the future we might not. Yeah. Um, so uh, we got people on the Facebook page to guess. If you could guess which were Charlie's DVDs and which were mine... Uh, then we would uh, give away my share of the DVDs to that person. There's been a whole bunch of guesses. Mm-hmm. I can reveal at the stage of us recording this podcast, no one has guessed correctly at this stage, which is which is good. You know, the fact that we're still keeping people guessing. And there's been some, this, this is the more interesting thing of me looking through the answers so far, somewhere they've got a really consistent idea that mm. say you or I are yeah. into one movie and they're completely wrong on that one. Yeah. That's the thing that I'm liking, not just the random guesses, but the fact that like... <laughs> A fair percentage of the people have gone from our conversation, this is definitely Will's movie or this is definitely Charlie's movie. And I'm going, nah, no, yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's really interesting. I should also throw in uh, a, a little twist too, that one of the DVDs that I brought in, although it belongs to me, was actually purchased by my wife. It is a film that I like and I have enjoyed, but just to make it a little more complicated, you've got to think, who a woman who would be prepared to marry Charlie... <laughs> What would their taste in films be? Uh, well, it's fair to say that one, at least one of mine was unwatched. Right. So, I mean, not as in I haven't watched the film, but I had not watched the DVD that we were giving away. So, anyway, there's some clues. Uh, <laughs> but on that, we talked about Nicolas Cage last week. Yeah. And uh, I got sent this article by one of our listeners. Uh, Con Air. Things you never knew about the action oh, movie. Excellent. Now, I know that we've kind of delved into the world of Con Air before, but uh, I thought... Here's some things that we may or may not know about the movie. This might be fun. Well, just before you get to that, I should. It's funny you bring up Conair because I used Conair as an example. I did this uh, writing workshop on Sunday, and we're talking about how important it is to have like the have the emotional beats in your script. Like you can have the best plot in the world, but if it doesn't emotionally resonate with people, then what are you writing? Right. And I used the example of like you can be watching the worst film, but if they hit a moment of emotional truth, suddenly you get you find yourself getting choked up. And there's a moment at the end of Con Air, which no matter how many times I've seen that film, and even though I know it's the dumbest action film of all time, when Nicolas Cage is reunited with his daughter and gives her the teddy bear, for some reason, <laughs> I'm always, it hits me right in, the, right in the heart, mate. I always get a little bit choked up. Uh, one of the stars of the film isn't a fan. Do you want to guess who is not a fan of Con Air? Who oh, that's so Air? easy. John Malkovich. Uh, no, not- John Cusack. Yes. Yes. Correct. Uh, John Cusack has been quite open about the fact that he did Con Air purely for the money. I like that, though. I like an actor who just goes, hey, occasionally I want to buy a fur coat and make Con Air. Uh, Doesn't like to reflect on the movie too much in interviews. Uh, The ones that suck, I tend to blank out, he told The Guardian about his film credits. It's like I never made them. Uh, I use those kind of films to get leverage. (laughs) Cynical. Uh, You wouldn't think Con Air had anything to do with Max. Uh, his 2002 movie about the friendship between a fictional art 
uh, between a fictional art and his student, maybe art fictional art teacher, fictional artist. Maybe they're missing a word. Uh, and his student, Adolf Hitler. Uh, but my career, in my career, it does. It's doing con air or doing romantic comedies that makes Max possible. The bad stuff you just try to make as good as you can. Well, that makes sense, right? Yeah. We all as like artists occasionally, like we are so quick to judge artists for doing something going, why are they doing that? When often the reason they're doing that is so they can go and do the cool thing that... Yeah, one for you and one for the studio, right? Yeah, what I'm basically saying is this podcast is now brought to you by Mercedes-Benz. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't think... But I understand he doesn't like it, but for its genre, it's perfectly acceptable. Like oh, it's, it's, a, it's a great... I wish they made mo more movies like Con Air still. Yeah, like, like it's, ensemble... Like good actors ensemble right. working in a real dumb genre. Just working in like it's meant to be fun from like start to finish and they all look like they're just having a great time chewing the scenery. Like, yeah, I, I reckon if we went through John Cusack's like uh, 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 credits, we would probably find other films he should be more embarrassed about. Yeah, let's send him a list. Yeah, <laughs> didn't he do that fucking Edgar Allan Poe is a kung fu fighter <laughs> film or something? I mean, come on, John. Uh, all right. Uh, Nicholas Cage didn't just play the character of Cameron Poe on the big screen. He also sh helped shape what sort of character he'd be. Well, this makes sense, right? You know, Nicholas Cage, he's a guy who brings a bit of Nicholas Cage to the table. Yeah. The actor said in an interview that Poe wasn't a very real person when he saw the script, so he made some changes. I decided he had to be a special forces guy, so it would be believable that he could fight and kill so easily. Yeah, that's fair enough. Okay, nice. What about the hair, though? And I wanted to make sense. And <laughs> he said, I wanted him to have a really bad mullet. <laughs> so that it would make sense. And I wanted to make sense that he would stay on that airplane, even when his own sense of self-preservation would be pushing him to get off when he has a chance. So his background and sense of honor kept him there to help his sick friend. Oh, nice one, Nicholas. Yeah, that's to put some work in. You're right. You Maybe, know, hey, John Cusack, take hey, a leaf out of Nick Cage's book. Yeah, how about what Nick Cage has brought to the fucking table? How about you, Cusack? Could have made your own notes. <laughs> My character is the son of Hitler. Hang on, what? <laughs> but I wanted something more. I got one of the guards who were captured by the cons to be changed to a woman character. Look right. at this. Nicolas Cage bringing women into Hollywood. This creates the threat of rape. Ooh. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. That got turned dark little, real quick. Took a little quick turn there, didn't it, Nick? Poe couldn't leave her unprotected. No decent man could. But I wanted to emphasize that by making him a southerner. They have a strong sense of chivalry when it comes to women. Mm. They have some other strongly held yeah. beliefs too that maybe... Yeah, there's some other stuff in the Southern yeah. catalogue that they... If the guard was black, would you have felt like the right. need to protect... Sorry, white women. White women. They have a code when it comes to white women. So making him a Southern former Special Forces guy made him a much more believable character to me. You know what? Like... I mean, I find the whole performance he does in that film ridiculous. Like the accent, the hair, the fact that he's a... Because I think the setup is that he's defending his wife in a car park against yeah. like three rednecks and because he's like a, you know, a weapon. You know, so he's not, he's not really a bad guy. He's no, a guy he's not, who's in no. jail for defending his wife. Yeah, yeah, he's a guy who's been, you know, it's A-team style. He's, yeah. he's kind of been sent to prison for a crime he didn't commit. Well, that plane he's on, he's actually not meant to be on that flight. He's not a high-risk yeah. criminal. He's that was originally... Hitch, he's hitching a, a ride. Yeah, that was originally his catchphrase from the movie. I'm not supposed to be here today. <laughs> well, like, hang on. I actually think there is... A, my memory is that there's a line from John Cusack because they're going through what hardcore criminals are on this flight. It's like a little montage. Yeah. And then they get to Poe and he's like, he's not, he's a guy who, you know, was defending his wife. Don't worry about him. He's just hitching a ride. And then later on they realize, oh, we need a guy on the inside. Poe. Poe's the guy's going to work for us. Uh, the actors were competitive. Actor Danny Trejo plays Johnny 23. Machete. In Con Air. And said being part of such a big male cast led to a rather competitive environment oh, behind the it scenes. It so would. Uh, the only problem, the biggest case of testosterone I've ever been in, he told the AV club. It was 30 guys all trying to be badasses. It was so weird. If you would spit, someone would spit a little bit further. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Pretty soon you've got 40 people trying to see how far they can spit. <laughs> I had some mates who worked on the original Underbelly. And they said, because that's pretty much all male cast. They said the same thing going to happen with the dudes who are playing the Carlton crew. It's like they very much were like, you know what? We're the Carlton crew. For the next six weeks, we're the Carlton crew. Uh, if you did push up, someone else would do two, then three, then four. It was like a competition of who the baddest ass was. 
it was funny. So which actor came out on top? Yeah. Is it someone I'd expect or is he like a supporting character? Not a supporting character. One of the main guys. That's what I'll say. Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage. Yeah, of course he would. He looked great in that film. Very fit. Yeah. Uh, as Danny Trejo reveals, that guy, when we did Con Air, he was in great, great shape. He was. Oh, <laughs> shit. Uh, and it turns out uh, Danny Trejo said his secret was carrying around a giant water bottle. So, <laughs> said piss, piss. He was in great shape. Pissed every seven minutes. Uh, that plane crash into a casino actually happened. What? What do you mean? The most dramatic scene in the movie, spoilers for Con Air if you haven't seen it, yeah. uh, is when the plane carrying the convicts crashes into the Sands Casino in Las Vegas. I actually had forgotten that. Yeah, it does. Remember that final... Like, isn't, there like a, but isn't there a fire truck chasing the plane or something as well? Like it's literally if an eight-year-old choreographed the action sequence, he's like, and then a plane crashes, and then a fire engine comes in. Like I'm pretty sure there's like a fire engine chase. Uh, you'd be forgiven for thinking the crash scene was mocked up on a soundstage, but it actually happened. The sands was going to be demolished anyway, Jerry Bruckheimer explained. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is what too much money in cocaine does. By the way, isn't that one of those meetings that he was like at the sands one night and he'd like, you know, he was up in his suite and like they got him off the tables and there's like, you know, 30 dancers in the room and he's doing a whole pile of cocaine and the guy from the sands says, hey, you know, we're... Uh, Actually going to demolish this place and Bruckheimer, just a giant... <laughs> I've got a great idea! <laughs> Get me my toys and trucks! Yeah. Uh, they blew up the tower on their own. We arranged to blow up the front of the building. Uh, the filmmakers knew they would only be allowed to shoot the scene once they set up 14 cameras to capture the crash. We brought in... Uh, okay, blah, blah, blah... Yeah, okay, that's a lot of detail about how they actually shot it. No one needs to know that. No. Uh, one of the actors narrowly escaped the death penalty. Oh, wow. Jeez. I mean, I don't know who that is. Tell me. You do know who it is. That's what I will say. He's one of the main actors. He's someone we've previously discussed. Danny Trejo. Danny Trejo, who plays Johnny 23 in Con Air, didn't have to act too much to be a convincing felon. The actor spent most of the 1960s in maximum security prison. 1960s? How, the f how old is he? 140. <laughs> uh, maximum security prisons for armed robbery and drug offences and narrowly avoided the death penalty. Uh, this is how Danny Trejo uh, describes it. I went into the hole looking at three gas chamber offences. After the Cinco de Mayo riots at San Quentin in 1968, they said I threw a rock and hit the lieutenant in the head. <laughs> But you know what? I did hit him in the head with a rock, but I wasn't throwing it at him. I was throwing it at him at a group of guys and he happened to be hit. <laughs> oh, Danny. Not, not convincing. That's not the best of all excuses, <laughs> mate. So we all had gas chamber offences and we were taken to the hole. And I remember saying, God, if you're not there, everything will turn out the way it's supposed to. Uh, God, if you're there. I was sorry. going to say, <laughs> that's a bit confusing. Sorry. God, if you're there, everything will turn out the way it's supposed to. If you're not, I'm fucked. The charges were later dropped on a technicality. Yeah, well, well that he God was trying to rock at the other. <laughs> God got involved. Proof. God and exists. Said, Look, I, I, at the at the time, I was actually just filming <laughs> on my iPhone, and you'll see he's clearly trying to throw the rock at the group of men, and accidentally hits the lieutenant in the head. Treo said in a different interview that the thrill he gets from acting is similar to the thrill he gets from hitting killing. The murdering police and the cast it's what he told the casting agent they were so terrified that we're going to give this guy the part he will kill us I murdered one police guard and then everyone on the set wanted to murder like two police guards <laughs> and three police guards Nicholas Cage murdered 35 <laughs> police guards they had to cover it up they put them all in the sands as we're about to demolish it that was the only way learn it from a guy who used to rob houses then burn them down it's a foolproof plan <laughs> covers all your tracks uh, it's like the rush when you do an armed robbery he said you have total acting? Yes, acting. Shit, maybe I picked the wrong career. Uh, it's like the rush when you do an armed robbery. You have total control. When the director yells action, it's right there. Only the gun's pointed at you this time. It sounds like a strange analogy. analogy. Mm. Yes, it does, Danny. <laughs> but that's the life I came from, and that's how I relate to it. Jesus Christ. What's wow. a guy like that on set do? I mean, there's a because the thing is, I'm looking at it from an acting point of view. I'm yeah. fucking soft as. I've been hired to be in this film. I've got to play a hardcore crim. And at lunch, I'm sitting opposite a dude who actually is a hardcore crim. Yeah, I mean, it'd be tough, right? Yeah. 
Uh, Nicholas Cage happily admits he's not uh, not one of the macho guys, but nonetheless, the actor agreed to film his own stunts because he didn't want to spoil the illusion in the movie. Now, this is one movie too where you could have got a stunt man because you just put him in that ridiculous wig and you mm. can film so many things. But whether I wanted to or not, I did most of my own stunts. He said, "Oh, most." Mm. They wanted to see my face on camera with the explosions five feet from me and the flaming helicopters dropping behind me and the ball-bearing bullets flying over my head. So there was a level of intensity, fear, you might say. To be honest, it was scary. And that was mostly because I was standing next to the urinal with Danny Trejo <laughs> and he did serious fucking time, man. Uh, Con Air 2. Uh, there have been persistent rumours about a potential Con Air sequel for about five years now, but nothing has been confirmed. Director Simon West said in 2014 he'd be keen for a follow-up to the 1990s. Wouldn't it be great to be there for that conversation where John Cusack has so much money put up in front of him that he can't say no to Con Air 2 after everything he said? Although does he, he's given himself a pass. Now he can do Con Air 2 because it's like, well, I don't have to explain myself. Right. Everyone knows why I'm doing this. What about, um, so Simon West, yeah. apparently he's keen to get involved, Simon West. Well, he hasn't done much. Well, that's what I was about to say. Would yeah. he be keen to get involved in... I think he did one of the Expendables. Anything at this stage? I think so. Oh, yeah, the Expendables 2. Uh, he did Lara Croft Tomb Raider in yeah, 2001. Yeah, like Mars. Yeah, he hasn't got a lot of... So, okay, so this is what he says. This is his quote. Okay. I think you'll enjoy this. Uh, director Simon West said in 2014 he'd be keen for a follow-up. I'd do it if it was completely turned on its head, he told Screen Daily. Con Air in space, for example. Shut the fuck up. He's not serious. You're not getting involved. <laughs> You're not getting involved. What, a bunch of convicts on the way that, like, we've decided to use Mars as, like, a penal colony? Yeah, yeah. And we're sending all our prisoners. Oh, actually, that's that sounds quite good. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't like, yeah, I'd, I'd watch that. Yeah, they're sending a bunch of our... We're beyond the death penalty. Yeah. As a human race, we've moved beyond the death penalty a bit. But we have trouble with like the population of Earth. We don't want to all move to a new planet, but we realise the only way is to send people into space. It's to Australia. This new planet. So it's, a, it's essentially Australia in space. Mars yeah. becomes Australia in space. Yeah. And we send a whole bunch of convicts out there. Some are already living there. You get to have a look at like what that society would be like and set it up for future sequels. Yeah. But it starts... With a trip to fucking space, Con Air style. That's a good idea. That get is so, a good idea. We get some of the rest to direct it. I apologize. Um, or this, he's, he's given some other. Um, uh, Let uh, me guess, Con Air on a submarine? <laughs> and Con Air on a bus. Yeah. <laughs> can't go below 40 and above 60. Hang on, mate. Con Air, but Nicolas Cage is dead, and the other guys have to drag his body around the island door. Hang on, what? Uh, a studio version where they're all robots. What? Yeah, this is what he said. He continues. A studio version where they're all robots or the convicts are reanimated as super convicts. He, I mean, he's definitely taking the piss now, right? And that is Universal Soldier, by the way. I mean, I was joking before, but it just says, like, he's literally just going, I'll do it, whatever the fucking movie <laughs> yeah. is. Basically, what I'm saying is, I am available to direct any movie you have. This is, I'm just going to read the whole quote, just so you can get the vibe of it. Okay. Con Air in Space, for example, a studio version where they're all robots, or the convicts are reanimated as super convicts, or where the good guys are bad guys, and the bad guys are good guys. Something shocking. <laughs> if it was clever writing... It could work. That's amazing. Talk about throwing a bunch of shit on the wall to see what sticks. And they're all women. It's Con Air, <laughs> but they're all women. That, that, there you go. That's awesome. That's your reboot that you yeah. want to say, right? We're mocking him, but he's actually started this Blue Sky session quite well. Yeah, he's the guy you need to kick the ball off. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't have many great ideas, but he has a whole bunch of ideas that inspire better ideas. Yeah. <laughs> we weren't going to come up with any of those ideas without his initial bad ideas. What He's was, an idea starter. What was the? Can, have you got the? Have you got the page open? What's? The, I want to go through the rest of the cast on Con Air because it was. I I remember at the time they took a bunch of indie actors, like or at least credible actors. Yeah, that's right. Because Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi. Yeah, and, that's right. Uh, uh, John Malkovich, obviously. And there's and I think there's others too. Like it's. I mean, you know what would be great if you rebooted it and you took the same philosophy where you take well, who are the like five most serious actors? Like you get Daniel Day Lewis in Con Air playing Poe. 
Well, what if we do the female version though? Because that might be an easy one to cast. Because then we can just cast type for type. Yeah. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like you can go through. So some movie. indie darling. Yeah. So you get some. Who's the kind of younger? Who who could be the Nicolas Cage character? Well, let's say so. Nicolas Cage at that stage of his career was two years off an Oscar. Right. So, but up until then, he'd been like serious, legit actor, mostly known for quirky roles. Then he did The Rock, and then he did Con Air. So that was the start of his rebirth. So who is an equivalent? Who's a female actress who went? I mean, the obvious one's Jennifer Lawrence, right. but she's a bit further down the track. If you've got Jennifer Lawrence just after, just after Winter's Bone, sort of maybe one Hunger Games film in, that would be perfect casting, right? All right, yeah, that's pretty good. All right, let's have a look at the cast here, and we can have a look. Um, so, cast: Nicholas Cage as Cameron Poe, yeah, uh, John Cusack, yeah, uh, as Vince Larkin. So basically, you just need Amy Adams or somebody who's yeah. Like, you'd, you'd you'd want someone like uh, like who's an indie actor like what. Maybe like one of the Japlas brothers or, you know, the, you know, one of those guys. Um, John Malkovich as uh, Cyrus, Cyrus the Virus Grissom. Yeah. Uh, Steve Buscemi as Garland, the Marietta Mangler Green. Uh, Ving Rhames. That's, oh, right. that's right. Ving Rhames. This has got a good cast. Yeah. Ving Rhames as Nathan Diamond Dog Jones. Colm Meany yeah. as Duncan Malloy. From Star Trek. He's, that, he's the Irish actor, but, and he can't do an American accent. Right, and you always see him in everything. And he's always yelling in this film. Oh, well, he's always yelling in a lot of things, though, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, Danny Trejo, as we've mentioned. Yeah. Uh, M.C. Ganey uh, as Earl Swamp Thing Williams. Yeah, he's the big hairy guy who flies a plane. Uh, Nick Chinlund as Willie Billy Bedlam Bedford. Oh, of course, Dave Chappelle is in this. Fuck yeah, he gets yes. caught in the uh, in the Joe wheel. Joe Pinball Parker. That's Fuck right, Chappelle. Uh, Michael T. Williamson, who was big at the time, remember he was he had like a little no. moment. Michael T. Williamson. Yeah, he was in um, what was a he was in another couple. He kind of had a little tiny little hot period. Michael T. Williamson. Oh, Forrest Gump, of course. Right. He was in Forrest Gump as well, um, uh, and um, who else we got? Uh, Rachel Ticketin. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. She's um from Total Sally Recall. Bishop. She's the uh, chick from Steve Total Easton Recall. As Guard fails on. Monica She's Potter the. I as believe Rachel Titcotton or Tintcotton is the female guard that Nicholas Cage is referring to. Yeah, right. Well, there you go. So that's your. Who out of that cast is still a big star? Chappelle, I guess. Although he's sort of just on the way back. Yeah, but I mean, out of those people, Nicholas Cage is still the biggest star, right? If you are rink, if you are like no, no, I don't think you're bankrolling like a big studio film off Nicolas Cage anymore. These are you. You go into a meeting and you have these names who are going to be. Let's say so. Dave Chappelle's in the mix, right? Yeah. Uh, Nicholas Cage is in the mix. John Cusack's in the mix. Malkovich. John, Mal, John Malkovich. Buscemi. Okay, so give me an order of who you think is the most bankable. Like one through five of those of those guys. These today. Yeah, today. If you were going to pitch a movie right oh. now. And you've got those five names. Was, like, in what? What's your order? Okay, and they're in their, and they're in their, they're in their chosen genre. Whatever they do best, because I reckon Chappelle would be the most bankable. Like, I think you know he did those two Netflix specials. People were pretty excited about that. If Chappelle was going to, they paid him fifty million dollars too, right, for two specials. I think is that what that? Yeah. So well, Nicholas, Nicholas Cage isn't getting twenty five million dollars a movie for his movies Not these anymore. days, is he? No, Malkovich is back into indie world. Okay, so it, it's Chappelle one. Yeah. Nicholas Cage two. I'd almost put Buscemi up there because think about Boardwalk Empire. I mean, he's he's kind of a name now. Nah. Isn't he? You don't build a franchise. You're not building a franchise but around Buscemi. Buscemi's just there. You put well, him it's in not Cusack. No. Nah. So it's got to be Cage, or Malkovich? Malkovich. Don't you reckon it's... it's it has like, to be Cage. It's got to be Chappelle, Cage, Malkovich, and then you can toss up Buscemi and... Cusack. Cusack, if you want. Yeah. Depending on which direction you're going in. Yeah. That's that's the worst One Direction <laughs> reunion ever. I mean, that's pretty amazing that Dave Chappelle can have however long he's really been out of the spotlight and just come back in and be like the most bankable star. I had no idea he got paid that much for those Netflix specials. Well, you know the great thing is too about like Chappelle is, is he, he, he's done that great thing and it's one of those things that you almost fantasize about, which was he went away and did fuck all. And came back more valuable. Yeah. That's what you want. Like, if, if I knew that I could go away and do fuck all for three years <laughs> and I'd come back and things would be going better forever, you would not hear from me for three fucking years. <laughs> Instead, my level of comfort with my career is, remember me? 
listen to something else. Here's another podcast. Remember me? It's actually yeah. He did the he did that thing though of going out when people were still like clamoring for right. more at the peak of his powers. So it's almost like we're, it's like you know the avalanches you know disappearing for twelve years. It's like oh shit, like people of course are going to be excited when you come back. It's whether or not you can actually deliver. Have you seen his specials? Are they any good? I haven't watched them yet. Like I read mixed reviews at the start. Some people saying you know. Dave Chappelle's, you know, the greatest genius of all time. And some people saying that some of his material on like trans people and stuff like that was perhaps, you know. Hadn't moved with the times. Hadn't moved with the times. And then other people, you know, writing think pieces, defending the fact that like stand-up comedy is the one place where you can be brave on those issues and it's provocative. And then some people writing think pieces about the fact that, you know, as a minority himself and the fact that he talks about those. And then other people writing think pieces. I've read a lot of think pieces, Charlie. A lot of think pieces. I have a lot of opinions about what those specials will be <laughs> going into those specials. But it, you know, people always talk about um, Eddie Murphy. Like, oh, wouldn't it be great if Eddie Murphy just decided to just do a stand-up tour again? I'm always like, no, I don't, I don't think so. Like, why? first of all, why would he do that? Like, it's stuck in time. It's like... To talk about, to refer to one of our other podcasts, it's like Dermot Brereton. People are always like, well, Dermy knows so much about football, he should coach. Right now, in people's minds, Dermy is this fucking genius, champion player who's so insightful about the game and potentially could be the greatest coach of all time. But if he did that, he might be James Hurd. <laughs> right. Oh, well, the other thing is that he's from a different era. Yeah. Like his opinions are actually from a different area. Like the way he talks about this is what they should be doing and this is how football should be. It's Mm. like, yeah, that's how football was when you played it. But they're playing a completely different game now. And Mm. I think it would be the same... For Eddie Murphy. For Eddie Murphy. Yeah, I mean... Because, I mean, Eddie... Let's be honest. Yeah. Eddie Murphy, with the talent that he had at 18, 19, 20, 21... If he had continued to do stand-up comedy and continued to develop as an artist and develop his ideas and became like, you know, Dave Chappelle or the, you know, like Louis C.K. or any of these guys with all those years, Mm. I think he would probably be one of the most valuable and compelling voices on the planet, without a doubt. But if he came back now, like... That's a lot of his stuff has not dated well. No, like a lot of those opinions and a lot of the (laughs) things that he was mocking and making fun of has not dated well. And if he came back and thought he could talk about those sort of things again, people would be like, Yeah, nah, I don't think he would though. Like, it's not like an Andrew Dice Clay kind of thing where it's, Oh, this is my shtick. Like, I think if he were to come back, he would have to joke about the fact that he's one of the richest, most famous comedians on the planet like you couldn't avoid that's what his stuff would be about it couldn't be about you know like uh having a big dick and you know like i can't i gotta walk around because gay people are looking at my ass like that is the jokes of a 19 year old right you know what i mean oh, or however no, old he was when he did those yeah specials. and there's nothing wrong with that like i mean at the time he was talking about the things that people of that age and of that time were talking about and that's mm. why it was so compelling but the problem is that in comedy in particular and i've seen this a whole bunch of times it's not to say that it's not beyond him to sort of break down everything that is built up around him and around his personality yeah. to get to real truth. But the problem is often when people take a break, they come back and they do what they were doing then, which was of the time. Yeah. But comedy has moved on and then suddenly it feels really dated. And do you think it's hard to hear a movie star tell jokes? Like, isn't there some... I mean, Chris you... Rock is a movie star. Like, I mean, there's plenty of, you know, high... Like these days in stand up, I mean, to a certain extent, like a Louis C.K. can be like, you know. Do you think Chris Rock has seen more of a movie star than a comedian? No, but he's certainly made enough movies that, you know, you could also consider him like a famous, famous movie star. Yeah, I guess. Like, I mean, Eddie Izzard, you know, always had the line of it's hard to, you know, be relatable the more famous you get. You know, it's hard to say to people, well, my butler tells me that crisps are expensive now. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that. Although I would actually watch that material. I would love to see somebody do a good job of like talking about what it's like to just be rich and successful. (laughs) You know, and I think some people do do that. Like, I mean, Billy Connolly has an element of, because he has always been on the side of the little person, he has a way of talking about being fabulously wealthy and famous that is also endearing. endearing. It's like everybody's like, oh, we won. I think Dave Hughes has that. When Dave Hughes talks about being rich, people don't go, oh, you rich fucker. They go, oh, he's like me. That could be me. I could be rich. Mm. I could be Dave Hughes. And yeah. I think it's really aspirational for the audience, you know? Yeah, but not everyone could be Eddie Murphy. Like, I mean, he pretty much from what? Beverly Hills Cop or Trading Places, he became like a movie star. Like that that transformation was complete. I think that 
my memory of growing up in high school and discovering Eddie Murphy and his like his stand up was it was just literally those two you know, raw and delirious. Yeah. But everything else that we quoted of Eddie Murphy, every other discussion we had was all lines from his films. You know, it wasn't like, you know, you would refer to the Saturday Night Live stuff even. No, no, no. He became a movie star. Yeah. I mean, he was the biggest, like, comedy star in the world by far. I remember, by far. I remember, because he, he had that flat period, you know, sort of late 80s through to the mid-90s, now. it felt like. No, <laughs> well, like, I guess, like, uh, what was the one? Late 80s through till the, to be continued. What was the Frumps called? What was it? A Nutty Professor. That yeah. was the one that sort of put him back on the map because he did that whole bunch of, like, Vampire in Brooklyn and, this, and, you know, Boomerang and these films that didn't hit. Nothing hit as big as the late 80s. And I remember going... To see The Nutty Professor and like everyone loving that. And then the next film we did was this one called Metro, which is this weird action comedy kind of film. But I remember being in the cinema and when his name came up, it was like a rock star reaction. Like young men especially had been dying for Eddie Murphy to be like a movie star again. It was kind of weird. There's, I haven't really, there's not that many films I can remember where someone's name comes up and they get like a round of applause. I don't think there's many experiences I've ever had like that. Okay. How about this? Maybe yeah. we got it the wrong way around before when we said Con Air but all women. What about we do one of those, like, you know, what they did with Death at the Funeral where you do, like, an all-black all black. remake of Con Air? So, well, except that the Ving Rhames well, I was going to say, does he? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, so it's just a, a direct swap. Yeah, Eddie Murphy playing uh, Poe. Yeah, you get um, Michael B. Jordan playing Poe. Yeah. Eddie Murphy. Eddie, <laughs> Eddie, Murphy would, Eddie Murphy would play the John Malkovich character. <laughs> Don't you reckon? Yeah. Well, that'd be great. I reckon he'd be great if you, you you brought him back to be sort of like these sort of comic, but comic sort of characters in a serious movie. Because I just think people got to the point where they're just like, I don't want to see Eddie Murphy like playing eight other characters in every fucking movie. Like, it's great that you can do it, but I think too much fat makeup and fart jokes. You know, I think Eddie liked doing it. I mean, yeah. if you're talking sort of vanity projects, and to be honest, like, yeah, it's tired. By the time you get to however many fucking front movies or whatever it is. But I would love if I was on that set just to fucking like to come to work every day to see Eddie playing, you know, the the mum or the, or the dad or the brother or whatever. Like he's he's pretty entertaining at what he does, even if there's no fucking jokes. Yeah, but it, that's I think that's the I think it'd be one of those things that it's much more impressive to see up close. Yeah, I think it's like one of those things where people would walk off the set of those things and go, "Fuck, this is going to be the funniest movie of all time." I laugh from start to finish while I was at work. Eddie Murphy is hilarious. <laughs> and then they would have watched the movie and went, what happened? <laughs> like, hang on. Why did none of that humor translate to the screen in any way? That's what I feel like it might be like to work on Mike Myers movies. I reckon they might feel like much more fun while you're making them than they are when they're on, t- on the, yeah, the screen. Fuck Mike Myers. Wow. What's he doing these days? What's interesting... Well, in Glorious Bastards, that was like the last one, wasn't it? Because there's a great podcast called Mike Check where they go through oh, yeah. various Mike Myers projects and I've done a couple of episodes. But we really had a look at... Uh, we did a live episode where we talked about The Love Guru and it is just one of those great examples of someone's career that was really just going so well and then something terrible so destroyed it in the minds of people that you were like... You kind of feel like these days that everyone's sort of Teflon, that you just kind of like... You can have a bad one. Like, you know, Will Ferrell's had a whole bunch of variously yeah. good or indifferent movies, right? But you still would go and see whatever Will Ferrell movie comes out next. But, like, Mike Myers made one terrible movie and everyone went, fuck you. It was not only that, it was so bad that it made people reevaluate the film to see that they thought they liked. That's, that's really <laughs> like what Wayne's it was. World, they went so, back and yeah. went, no, well, I don't like Wayne's World 2 anymore either. Yeah. And I quite liked that. I remember when he was promoting that. I was in LA. I think it was the first time I was in LA. Because I saw billboards for Love Guru everywhere and Mike Myers hosted the MTV Movie Awards to promote the film, obviously. And he obviously got some carte blanche on that as well where the producer said, yeah, look, you want to play a bunch of wacky characters? And so he did. He came out like in, you know, in costume and stuff and it was bad. Like there was one sketch that went on for so long where he was playing an Australian, a female Australian publicist, like his fictional publicist. And it was just, it was so bad. Like you could hear like, a pin drop in the audience it's like 
someone like he's doing more damage to this film than fucking anything did you know that he uh in the lead up to it he went around and did characters in like new york coffee shops and stuff like he was essentially doing sort of performance art yeah performance art slash open mic stand-up oh in character but in character like playing these various characters that's good i'm okay with that i mean he does what he does but did, did we just wake up from the mike myers dream no, I think there's some Mike Myers stuff that's really, really funny. I just think that Love Guru was not. Was it? God, can you have one thing? Well, you know what? He'll just Tarantino will will, will dust him off again for another film, and we'll all love him again. It all the the wheel turns. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, I mean, he was good in Inglorious Bastards. I mean, completely over the top. Yeah, like almost on that line of going, "Are you? Is this too comedy for this movie?" But I thought he. Just managed to keep it like, in the bounds of it. Because uh, I, I did watch Wayne's World recently, and I was like, "Wow, this is really broad." Like, I didn't, I'm, I don't, re- I didn't remember sort of thinking how like cartoonish it was. But when you watch it, like they seriously mug and milk every single line in that film. It works. It's a really charming thing. But it's like, well, it works because the characters work to be mugging as well. I mean, you've got mm. that great conceit because what he does in Love Guru a lot is he, like, mugs the screen, like, winks Breaks the camera. Breaks wall. And you're like, this is not fucking House of Cards, mate. <laughs> like, stop, stop looking at the camera, right? But secondly, uh, in Wayne's world, he was able to do that because the whole conceit were these two guys lived their, like, kind of life thinking they wanted to be this, like, that they were constantly talking to, you know, a TV. Yeah. You know, they it was their version of a podcast, right? They created mm. their own universe and thought it was important and then thought everyone understood all the jokes and stuff. Mm. And that's how they behaved in real life. So I think it worked much better for movies like that. And I think that was the first Saturday Night Live film to gross like over a hundred million or something. That sort of set the template for every vehicle you got after that. I imagine the Blues Brothers probably. I mean, maybe it was before the time oh, where yeah. movies made that sort but of I, money. But. But, but I think it's more Lowen Michaels actually produces those films now. Yeah. They'll take a character from the show and then, you know, do a, do a film off it. But I, have, they, have you ever... I haven't done that recently. Have you ever no. liked any of those? I mean, they still make... Some I do. They still make movies with Saturday Night Live cast members, but the, I don't think they're as broad comic character like Coneheads or like no there's one that's there's one that I really like that no one's seen with Molly Shannon called Superstar which is based on her Catholic schoolgirl character and it's hilarious basically because you've got a bunch of 30 40 year old actors all playing like Catholic high school (laughs) students and stuff like Will Ferrell plays like the guy she's interested in and stuff it's really that's that's really good but you can't help but watch it and go well this is just an extended sketch (laughs) like I understand that you could Definitely stretch it out to 90 minutes. But none of those films, I'm always like, oh, well, you know, that definitely had to be made into a film. Like, Wayne's World didn't have to be made into a film. I think Wayne's World, I mean, Wayne's World in particular also had that sense of it was critiquing a time. Like, I think now that we've seen so many things that reflect on that time period and people like that, that it doesn't probably feel as fresh or as innovative as it probably was at the time because it did sum up a certain time and a certain type of character. But... Some of those other ones, because we don't have Saturday Night Live here, and be, well, I mean, we do, but it's not. You gotta have cable. It's not the cultural phenomenon, and certainly no, we had the comedy company. Yeah, but I mean, when we look at Saturday Night Live, I mean, I've never found Saturday Night Live funny. Mm. I find many of the people who've come out of Saturday Night Live hilarious, but I, I find little or no evidence that it's ever once been funny in the entire. Existence it's hard to watch it. an entire episode. You might get a sketch in there, right? But it's hard to sit through a whole Or a line. moment, but then they'll keep doing that sketch for another six <laughs> minutes and it'll drain any enjoyment out of it. And and so when some of the characters would come to screen, you wouldn't really be familiar with them. Yeah. Like so you'd have that sort of thing of going, um like yeah, when the like Coneheads that. when the Coneheads movie came yeah. out, I remember going to see that at the cinema thinking, Well, this is meant to be funny. And then I was like, What the fuck is going on? I don't even understand how this became a phenomenon. Does Tommy Boy count as a as a set, I mean, it's a Saturday Night Live film. It's produced right. by Lord Michael, starring Chris Farley and David Spade. That's a really good Saturday Night Live film. I'm going to Google. Uh, Did you like Chris Farley? Were you a fan of Chris Farley? Yeah, I think so. Like, I, I think he was probably one of those people that um, I liked more in a supporting role than I liked in the lead role because you know, eventually it just got he's like the Hulk. Bit- Right. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Totally. I don't want to see his own movie, but put him in all the other people's movies. <laughs> uh, I'm going to look at Lorne Michaels' movies and see what we uh, find there because we might get a good selection here of what Lorne Michaels has managed to uh, produce uh, here as a movie maker. So, um, all right, here we go. 
Saturday Night Live, in popular filmography. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, counting backwards. Oh, Masterminds, which I saw. Uh, did you oh, see that? No, that looked terrible. You know what? It's it's not terrible. Really? It's hard to tell what it is. Like, it's one of those movies where there's a whole bunch of people doing um, kind of weird, Characters. quirky. Yeah. It's like a comedy version of Fargo almost. Like, you oh. can, if they made an entire series of Fargo out of the story that's behind it, you go, oh, yeah, cool. That's a Fargo story. But it's done in sort of a quirky way, but sort of a Saturday Night Live way. But it's got a couple of funny performances and some good moments in it. Um, uh, Whis- Whis- Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, which yep. was um, uh, Tina uh, Fey. I've seen that. Margot I Robbie. I like that. I didn't mind that. Uh, the Guilt Trip in 2012. The Guilt Trip. Do you remember the Guilt Never Trip? Heard of it. That was uh, Seth Rogen and uh, Barbara oh, with his mum. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So Lauren produced that one. Uh, McGruber. Ah, oh, that's, that's a good okay. film. Okay. Yeah. So there's your classic comedy Saturday Night Live thing that's Ske- been turned into a movie. That's a sketch that has become a movie. I McGruber. quite like that. Yeah, there okay. is, there, uh, if you watch the bonus features of that, because there's, <laughs> there's this running gag in it that McGruber, his big way to distract bad guys is to stick a cucumber up his ass and waddle around. And then in the penultimate kind of fight, Ryan Felipe, distract the bad guy, sticks a pickle up his bum and waddles about. When you watch the bonus features, they have the, all the, you know, what are they called? Like the... Um, the deleted scenes or right. the or the the, ta- the outtakes, uh-huh. and it's Ryan Philippe shooting that scene, and the look on his face is probably similar, I imagine, to what John Cusack had on his face <laughs> when he agreed to do Conair. Like he waddles back and forth a couple of times, and then he literally looks to the camera and goes, "We're done, right? We're done. Right. We got it. We got it, didn't we?" This guys, I just got divorced. <laughs> I've got. To, I'm a. I'm a single dad now. I've got to pay some extra bills. I don't really want to be here. Yeah, that Studio Fifty Four sequel never happened. <laughs> I've been sitting on that Studio 55 script for, <laughs> for years now. Um, all right. Uh, Baby Mama in 2008. Yeah. Hot Rod in 2007. Well, he's pretty supportive of the Lonely Island guys, isn't he? Uh, mean Girls. There you go. That's a hit. Wow. Mean Girls in 2004. So right. that was that was a big movie. Enigma in 2001. Enigma? Uh, the, yeah, don't that? know. Enigma. Let's click on it and see. Enigma. Uh, oh, no. It doesn't look like a Saturday Night Live Not movie. a comedy. No. No. No, uh, it's a 2001 espionage thriller film uh, directed by Michael Apted uh, for, and uh, on a screenplay by Tom Stoppard. Oh my so, Lawn. And the leads in that are... Will Ferrell <laughs> and <laughs> Tina Fey. Can't imagine why it bombed. Uh, the Ladies' Man in oh, 2000. Yeah. Tim Meadows. Uh, Man- oh, that's another sketch extended. Yep. Uh, Man on the Moon, uh, which was uh, a serious film. Andy but- Kaufman. Uh, but around comedy, superstar, as you mentioned. Oh, a night at the Roxbury, Jimmy yeah, Fallon. Yeah, that's a guilty pleasure as well. Yeah, there's some good. Although he's annoying that other one, the one that's not Will Ferrell. What's yep. his name? You know, the Chris one that... Chris Catan. Chris Catan, the one that's not Will Ferrell. Yeah, you're right though. <laughs> um, uh, Kids in the Hall, uh, Brain Candy. He did the Kids in the Hall movie. Uh, Black Sheep. Which, yeah, which is uh, in to Tommy Boy. Uh, Stuart Saves His Family, 1995, uh, Tommy Boy, Lassie, Wayne's World 2, Coneheads, Wayne's World, The Three Amigos. Oh, shit. Nothing Lasts Forever and Guild Alive. That's his film. Oh, so he didn't actually produce Blues Brothers. No. That's interesting. All right. Well, there's not that many good films. (laughs) Not a lot, (laughs) but he's made a shitload of money regardless. So everything's fine for Lord Michaels. But having said that, they're not that many great films, but they are all films that if I was browsing and, you know, was not wanting to be too challenged, I would leave on. Oh, yeah. No, Lorne Michaels makes things for aeroplanes. Yeah. Lorne <laughs> Michaels. Yeah, I'll watch that, you know, if it's on. Yeah. Lorne Michaels. It's already started, but I think I can pick up the rest. Lorne <laughs> Michaels. Does it matter if I just watch the mini, the mini, the 20 minutes in the middle? Sure. That's fine. Lorne Michaels. I think I've seen that. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you've just seen the previous <laughs> Lawn Michaels. No surprises. I'm rich. Uh, let's just pause for a second, then we'll come back and finish off. Sure. We had, I had to have a pause because I needed a toilet break because I've been drinking my canister of water. Yeah. Just proving it. Delicious. Can- <laughs> canister fresh. Much better than from a plastic bottle. 
all right. Um, before we go, we should finish up in a minute, but um, I, there was another article that was sent to us and I thought you might enjoy it. So let's we can just run through that quickly before the end. Okay. Uh, it comes from uh, the independent uh, website. In the rush for ecstasy, many people are misspelling their deepest sexual desires. Uh, Pornhub has released the list of the most misspelled <laughs> porn search terms in each US state. Fantastic. Uh, here are the most common ones. Okay. Uh, so th- I'm just, I might have just have to spell it out to you so that you can. So f- the most common A M A T U R R. Amateur? Yeah. How? Spell that again. A M A T U R R. A lot of pirates looking for porn oh. on Pornhub. Oh. Amateur. Oh, God. This is a hard game. <laughs> Me trying to work out what you're saying, by the way. Spell it. Go on. Next. Uh, A-N-A-T-U-R-E. Say again. A-N-A-T-U-R-E. Anature? I mean, I assume it's... Amateur. I assume it's amateur as well. With an N. Anature? 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 Is it... Ain't a, no, and I think it must be amateur with an N. Uh, A-S-A-I-N. <laughs> like Asian? It's meant to be. I mean, you're almost there. I'm really, I feel like I'm dyslexia. Insane. Uh, C-A-R-T-O-N. Carton? Yeah, carton. Carton? Yeah. What's that meant to be? Cartoon, I imagine. Oh. <laughs> Unless, unless, unless it's a really weird, into, like I really like a girl milk. and a guy with a cart. <laughs> get him here. Yeah. Get him. <laughs> uh, cart and draft, mate. Uh, M I F L. Milf. <laughs> Miffle. <laughs> Mum's eyed, friendly lick. <laughs> uh, L E S I A N. Lesbian. <laughs> I assume I assume they're going for lesbian, not lesion, right? L e s b i a m, lesbian, lesbian, <laughs> which sounds like a, a, a pill you have to take. Ah, uh, okay, head spins. Uh, take some lesbian. Oh, take some lesbian, mate. Oh, uh, you know what? My heart rate's really gone down since I got on lesbian. <laughs> That's the great news. I'm walking a couple of kilometers a day, but mostly, you know, a lesbian in the morning and then a lesbian in the night and I'm fine. I love that probably half of these have been typed in while drunk. You know, this is someone's come home. It's 2 a.m. They didn't get lucky at the club. They're like, oh, find me some lesbians. Uh, P-O-R-M. Porm. Porm. Yeah, got to go watch myself some porm. Yeah. Got some les- lesbians in Lesbians. Yeah. <laughs> uh, S-T-E-P M-O-N Stepmom That's just what That's right isn't it uh, M-O-N Oh N Stepmom Stepmom <laughs> Well if your stepmom's called Monica Then yeah. that, that works <laughs> Or just somebody doing a really offensive Like you know Jamaican <laughs> Stepmom <laughs> That's what I would like Some stepmom <laughs> uh, And W-B-O-N-Y W-B-O-N-Y what would that be? Bo- a woman boy? Bo- <laughs> I, I think it's meant to be ebony. But oh. <laughs> Wabony. Waboni. Yeah, Waboni. Waboni. Makes- <laughs> yeah, my favorite types of porn are Wabomi. Funnily enough, when I get an erection, that's the sound my dick makes. Waboni. Waboni. <laughs> There you go. So uh, we can finish up. Uh- <laughs> yeah, we have to do a, an abridged episode. <laughs> Today, yes, because uh, uh, we have other commitments. But but if you didn't know, we have a Facebook, uh, not a Facebook. We have a well, we do web- have a Facebook. Yeah, we do. We'll get to that. Yeah, we have a website. <laughs> we could have got to it while you were saying it. That would have been a better recovery. But well, I think our website links to everything. So if you go to our website, tofop.com, yep. brand new, you can find our other podcasts. There, you can also find links to our Facebook page. Okay, um, we have a Twitter account as well. Uh, Will has his own Twitter account. I have my own Twitter account. We plug this show every week. If you think people might like this show, why don't you retweet one of our tweets when yeah. we put an episode up? Or tell them or tweet your own thing. Often, so Draft an email. Often so I don't have to tweet something. If you tweet something, I can just retweet it. Oh, that's why I know you're much better. I always wait for you to retweet an episode. Then I just retweet your retweet. Yeah, you're that's, good at that's it. what I'm saying. But I want other people. So like when people contribute or send us things, if they tag it like hashtag oh, tofop, tofop, then I can see that. And then I can use that as a plug yeah. rather than... And so you know, yeah, that's if a you good want idea. some sweet retweet action, 
yeah. uh, tweet something about the podcast and I will retweet it in a way to plug it so it doesn't seem like I'm boringly plugging it all the time. That Yeah, that we're, we're retweet whores. What we would like if is you're more people Hub, to... You type in retweet. Yeah, retweet. If you could retweet this podcast. <laughs> we want people, we would like more people to listen to it um, because, you know, we like doing it and we'd like to continue doing it. But we also have some other podcasts that we'd like to grow as well and do some other stuff. So obviously the more support we have um, with you guys rating it, um, you know, telling other people about it, getting people interested in it. Um, uh, that is very helpful to us and yeah. we really appreciate and it. And another way to support the show is you can go to patreon.com forward slash TOEFOP. Um, that's where you can just uh, subscribe to any amount to keep the show running. It enables us to pay Michael to cut the show for us, enables us to get this amazing artwork by James Last Fosdark. week he actually put uh, Michael, uh, the Predator noise, in as our whole music. Apparently. I know, we should start listening back to the show because every now and then I get people messaging me about what Michael's cutting into the show. Like one, one person online was like, he goes, I heard it was the predator noise, but I thought it was someone ripping a bomb. <laughs> I mean, a little bomb. Yeah, break. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike, yeah. Mike the, Al cut the predator noise. It in. was the predator noise, guys. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you have any shows to promote? Wagga? Uh, I'm at Wagga, Wagga Comedy Festival. And yes, uh, Montreal Just for Laughs. I'm doing six shows at Critically Will at the Montreal Just for Laughs Festival. So if you are in Montreal, near Montreal, or thinking about going, uh, come and see the show. That'd be really cool. We mentioned Kids in the Hall. That's our Canadian content for this yeah, week. Yeah, exactly. Oh. I mean, we, we, we mentioned it by reading well, it off Mike Wikipedia. Myers. We mentioned Mike Myers. Oh, yeah, He's Canadian. Go. We're Canadian friendly. I think Lorne Michaels might be Canadian, isn't he? Lorne yeah, Michaels, is he Canadian originally? I don't know. I don't know about that. Okay, I'm going to have to go back to the Lorne Michaels page now. So find out, Lorne Michaels. Uh, so let's find out where Lorne Michaels was uh, born. Uh, Lorne Michaels is a Canadian-American. Uh, see, this has been like heavy yeah. in Canadian content here. Uh, Lorne Michaels is a Canadian-American television producer. There you go. So he was born, uh, Lorne Lipowitz, to Florence Becker and Henry Abraham Lipowitz. Uh, oh, sorry. A furrier must be a job, but like I read it like it was a description. So it says here he was born Lorne Lipowitz to Florence Becker and Harry Abraham Lipowitz. A furrier, <laughs> like, and I was like, a furrier than what? Oh no, that's his job. <laughs> I get it now. Uh, they moved to Toronto, Ontario, Canada when he was an infant. So he wasn't born in Canada, but he was raised in Canada. There you go. Yeah, no. So we're 90% Canadian this episode at least. Yeah. So support Will in Montreal. That's Please come and saying. see me. That's all I'm saying. Yes, in Montreal. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson.
you still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Oh.